Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Embrace. My name is Christina, and I'm one of our associate pastors here. If you have not talked to anyone yet, let me just tell you I'm so excited that you are here, and we will have time to get to know each other in a little bit. I would also love to meet you. So if you see my face later after service, if you are new around here, I would love to get to know you. There's another way to connect with us if you are new here too, and that is this wonderfully pretty blue card that is in your pew. Thank you, Dan, waving it around as well. If you fill out your information, we can add you to our email list and um, keep in touch with you that way. We don't spam you, it's not all the time. You can also let us know if you would like information about volunteering or small groups, or even if you wanna meet with a pastor. There's also a place for prayer requests on the back of this as well. And you can share your prayer requests with us, and they will remain confidential, but be lifted up by our prayer team. So if you fill this out, or if you want to give while you're in the building this morning, there are boxes at the back door and this side door over here as well, where you can put connect cards or contributions this morning. You can also always give online at embraceyourcity.com give. I will remind you there's an announcement handout on the welcome tables. So if you did not grab one when you came in, but you would like to know about all the awesome things going on here, please grab one on your way out. I will just quickly remind you, it's a new round of small groups. We're getting those started. So if you are interested in either small groups, which is the um, higher commitment, kind of year-long base commitment, meet at least every other week, sometimes every week, um, small group of three to five people, that's a small group. If you want just something that you can come and go to as you're able, that is kind of a co-ed, larger group participation focused on fellowship. Those are our community groups. And so you can talk to Logan Trent about that, or you can also talk to me and I'll connect you with Logan. So those are some big things on the horizon right now. Last of all, I want to have you guys look around the room. Do you see the new black and white artwork um, and explanations? This is our Lenten art created for us by Emily Posey, our artist in residence. Yes, thank you so much, Emily, right there. And Felice, um, another artist in residence for us, has created the liturgy that invites us into the practice of iconography. So if you're in here early someday or you're hanging around a little late, feel free to walk around the room. If you start over here, there's an artist statement. I think there's one in the back as well. And you can kind of progress through the different days of Holy Week, which is what we're doing in our sermon series as well. So... All of that is available to you here in this worship space this morning. We're going to go ahead and get started and turn it over to the worship band. Stand with me, please, as you're able, and join in our call to worship. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you. As the day rises to meet you. Wash. Oh, and he washed 
us in your love Help us forgive as you forgave Extend your grace towards us Let your compassion fall like rain And above all else We put on love And above all else We put on love And above all else
bind us together, one to another, walking in love, unshakable. And tear down our boundaries, and break down our borders, walking in love, unshakable. Bind us together, one to another, walking in love, unshakable. Tear down our boundaries, break down our borders, walking in love, walking in love. Above all else, we put on love, and above all else. We put on love and above all else. We put on love and above all else. We put on love. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me. From the mountain pain, you set my feet upon the rock, and now I know that I love you, that I need you. And though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. You're my savior, you're my closest friend. I will worship you until the very end. Jesus, you're the lover of my soul. And Jesus, I will You've taken me from the miry clay. You set my feet upon the rock, and now I know that I love you, that I need you. And though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. You're my Savior, you're my closest friend, and I will worship you until the very end, and I will worship you until the very end, Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the mighty clay. You set my feet upon the rock. And now I know that I love you and I need you. And though my world may fall, I'll never let you my Savior, you're my closest friend, and 
Amen. Well, y'all can have a seat. It's really good to be here today. My name is John, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. Um, I'm so uh, grateful to be here on this Sunday. If y'all would, just bow your heads with me just for a moment. God, we are so grateful to be here in this space. I know many of us have brought uh, different stuff with us this morning. Some of us have brought stress and anxiety and worries. Other of us has brought maybe lots of joy and gratitude. Some of us may be angry or upset. God, I know that we all bring different things with us this morning. And I just pray you would meet us here today and that we could be lifted up through our experience that we share together this morning. God, I thank you for each and every person who's here today. And I pray that, Lord, you would speak to them. And that you would open up our hearts and help us to see you more, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today is a, an extra special day. You may have noticed this uh, large metal uh, bathtub up in front of the church today. Um, when we get this out, this means we're doing a baptism. And we've had a few of those lately, which is really cool. Um, and so this morning um, is extra special because one of our children at our church has been thinking and talking to me about baptism for a couple of years now, um, it seems, and we finally have gotten to the point where she is ready to do this and really understands and, and is committed to, to following Jesus um, for the rest of her life, and so we're really excited about that. So I'll go ahead and invite them up. They're standing over here to the side. So this is the star of the morning right here, Ellie Epperson, um, and you may have met her before. I remember meeting Ellie when she was uh, just a little girl, um, and she would always come up to me, and she, even at a very young age, when I first met her, Ellie had so many questions about God. And she would come up to me and want to know so many deep things. And she was reading the stories and pay attention to what was going on in church every week and in the Wonder Room upstairs. Um, there was even a night that uh, Liz and Val FaceTime with me and they're like, Ellie has some questions. And uh, they were like, really good questions. And I'm like, I don't know the answers to these questions. So we just wonder together about them. Um, but it, she just has a heart and love for God. And she really, truly does want to live for Jesus and scriptures are very clear. When children had a desire to be with Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, let the children come to me. And he even had hard words for us adults and says, if any of you hinder one of these little ones, it's not going to be good for you. And so we definitely do not want to ever hinder children coming to Jesus. And so um, it's very special to me that, that Ellie has made this choice and wants to uh, commit her life to God, and she already has, you know, but this is really making it official and welcoming her into the church family. You know, we are in the season of Lent, and you see the purple, and Lent is kind of a darker season. It's a season of preparing for Jesus' death on the cross, and so it may feel a little weird to do a baptism during the season of Lent. Um, I was thinking, baptism's like white and new life. All the, we got these purple colors, but I think it's really beautiful because even in the midst of hard times, like God is still doing something new. And God is still recreating and working in this world to see lives transformed. And so even in the midst of hard times, it's really beautiful to have such this uh, wonderful representation of new life, 
Even after all these hard storms came through, uh, even after many of us, including myself, had just a hard weekend and are dealing with hard things, um, to really just have some joy and celebrate this wonderful thing. And so, this is Ellie. We have uh, some of Ellie's family here. This is Mom. This is Liz. And here's Valentin, who uh, married into the family here uh, with Liz and Ellie, and then Valentin's kids as well, who have become Ellie's siblings. Uh, we got Jonathan, Adrian, Isabel. Many of you all have known them for a long time and watched them grow up. I baptized Isabel here in this very spot uh, not all that long ago, uh, which is really exciting. So y'all are used to these. We've done a few baptisms recently, which is exciting. So there's a little service that we go through together. There'll be parts that I say, there'll be questions I ask Ellie, and there'll be parts that you all will respond with also. And so before we have her get in the water, we're going to go through all this, and then we'll get to the good part. So brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All of this is God's gift offered to us without price. And so this morning, I present for baptism Ellie Rebecca Herrera Epperson. And so, Ellie, I have some questions to ask you. All right, and these are very simple. It's just two words. All right, so the first three questions are I do. And so when I'm done, you can say I do. So this first one, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you trust that God loves you and God is faithful to forgive you? And do you repent of your sin? All right. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to love others by standing up for the weak, resisting injustice, and helping people in need? All right, this one's I do as well. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church? which is open to people of all ages, or ages, nations, and races. All right, and this last one you'll answer, I will. All right? So, Ellie, will you remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church and share God's love with others? All right. And so, Embrace, I have a couple of questions for you. You know, Ellie's decision today really impacts all of us because what happens to one member of the body of Christ will make a difference with every other member in the body of Christ. And our church will not be the same after today. By the sacrament of baptism, the church declares and pledges to whoever is baptized that your joy, your pain, your gain, your loss are ours because you are now one of us. And so this first question embrace, the words are not on the screen, it's just we do. All right. So do you as Christ's body embrace church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? This next one's a little longer, so you can read along with me. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include this child, Ellie, in your care? With God's help, we will proclaim the good news, of live according to the example of Christ. We will surround this child with a community of love and forgiveness that she may grow in her trust of God and be found faithful in her service to others. Sorry, I messed us all up. Is this different than what's on my sheet? That is so confusing. I'm, let's start at the top, and we're just going to go through the whole thing right here. So with God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround this child with a community of love and forgiveness that she may grow in her service to others. We will pray for her that she may be a true disciple who walks in the way that leads to life. That was much better. 
All right, and so now let us join together in professing the Christian faith that's contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, if you all would join with me in this prayer that we will say together, there'll be parts for you and there'll be parts for me. And I'm just going to read it off the screen to make sure we're all on the same page. The Lord be with you. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of God's mercy each day. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your Spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Declare his works to the nations, his glory among the people. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and she who receives it to wash away her sin and clothe her in righteousness through her life, that dying and being raised with Christ, she may share in His final victory. All praise to You, Eternal Father, through Your Son, Jesus Christ, who with You and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. Alright, Ellie, this is the moment. Hopefully it's not too cold. So if you want to step in and you can face... Jonathan over there, and you can go ahead and have a, yeah, you can have a seat. (laughs) All the way down, there you go. (laughs) All right, I know it's hard to see her here. (laughs) She's ready. All right, Ellie, I pray that the Holy Spirit works within you, that being born through water in the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, you can stand up and can face your church family here. So members of the household of faith, I commend to your love and care, Ellie Epperson, whom we this day recognize as a member of the family of God. Will you so endeavor to live that she may grow in the knowledge and love of God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. With God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ that this child, surrounded by steadfast love, may be established in the faith and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to life eternal. Let's give her another hand.
All right, we're going to let Ellie go get dried off, put on some dry clothes. All right, we're going to have a time of prayer this morning like we do each week. And so if you would like to join me at the altar um, to kneel, then you're welcome to do that. You're also welcome to stay in your seats and pray there as well. Um, But let's all uh, spend a little bit of time in prayer uh, before we move into our message for today. When we're finished with our time of prayer, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together, and the words for that will be on the screen in front of you. I encourage you just to take a few deep breaths. The scriptures teach us that there's nowhere we can go to get away from God's presence, that God is everywhere, that God is moving all throughout this world. God's Spirit is eternal. God's Spirit was there at the beginning and will be there when it's all over. And God is with us through it all. So God is here this morning, as near to us as our breath. As you breathe in and out, I encourage you, Lord, or I encourage you all to uh, just be mindful of God's spirit that lives and moves in us and through us, giving us life each and every moment of the day. Lord, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we all are living in that tension. We all experience that tension of being so grateful for the goodness of your love. We, we experience new life, just like we did this morning. We experience in each and every day in the midst of the beginnings of spring, seeing flowers start to grow more green, more color, more life all around us. We hear the birds, we see the animals, we've seen the sunshine. Yet at the same time, Lord, we are experiencing death and hardship and injustice and difficulties and anxiety and stress. And sometimes, God, it's just hard to keep moving forward. But Lord, when we gather together, we are reminded that you are there with us in the tension, that you are even more present to us when we go through hard times. So I pray this morning that we would all be more mindful of your presence, walking with us through the ups and downs of life. Lord, today we are just overwhelmed with 
joy and also at the same time, many of us are overwhelmed with sorrow and, and, and difficulty. And God, we just ask that you would meet us here in this space. Lord, there's so much on our hearts and minds and we just give it all to you today. And we pray you would meet us here in this moment. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. And now we just join together and we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So it's good to see all y'all here. I hope y'all have fared okay with all the storms. And I know some of y'all still don't have power, which is, uh, I'm very sorry. That is hard. <laughs> I'm sure many of you all are stressed uh, this morning. And I pray that hopefully this can be just a little bit of refuge in the midst of kind of a stressful time of dealing with lots of stuff that's going on right now. So last week, uh, we began a new series that we're focusing on during the season of Lent, and it's really focusing just on the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus lived around 33 years, uh, most scholars will say, yet the gospel writers in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they spent a disproportionate amount of time focusing on really eight days in the life of Jesus. And these eight days have been come to be known as Holy Week. And Holy Week is coming up during Fayette County spring break this year. And it's a, a, the holiest season, really, the holiest week during the Christian year. And when I say holy, I just mean it's kind of set apart. It's important. People really take it seriously. There's lots of different services throughout the week during Holy Week. And people really try to turn their attention to Jesus in, a, in an even more intense way than normal. Holy Week begins on Palm Sunday. And it ends on Easter Sunday. And since the gospel writers, as we talked about last week, they spent a lot of extra time focusing on this particular week, then we're going to take their cue and we're going to spend some extra time focusing on this week during Lent. And so all throughout the season of Lent, which is the 40 days leading up to Easter, we are going to focus on the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. And so I'm going to break it down for you, and Dan, I corrected my slides, so, you know, I think, you know, my mind is not the best these days, but I did get it. It says April now, but here's how we're going to break it down. Last week, we looked at Palm Sunday. We talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Today, which is the fifth, we're going to be looking at Monday of that particular week, and then you can see it'll go along with each day of the week. Um, we don't have enough Sundays in Lent to cover all the days with them getting their own day, and so Friday and Saturday are going to combine into one on April 2nd. So last week, like I said, we talked about Palm Sunday, and we looked at that story in Palm Sunday when Jesus and his disciples had finally made it to Jerusalem. So they had been on this journey for quite some time to get to Jerusalem, and they finally were there, and things had gotten pretty bad. Um, there was a lot of people that were out to get Jesus. Uh, there were people scheming and talking and trying to find ways that they could arrest him and kind of stop this movement that Jesus had started. And so they were coming into Jerusalem, and they stopped outside the city in a suburb of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And I'll show you a photo 
um, that I took when I got to travel to the Holy Land. And this is a photo from the Mount of Olives looking down into kind of the majestic holy city. Now, it looked different then, but the lay of the land hasn't changed too much over the, that many years. Um, and so it's a similar idea that you're standing up on the Mount of Olives looking down into the holy city of Jerusalem. So before entering the city, Jesus gave very specific instructions to his disciples on how they were going to go about entering the city of Jerusalem. And he was so deliberate and he was very specific with his instructions to them. And he was very intentional about the way he went into the city. Now keep in mind that the tension in the Jesus movement had risen to an all-time high. The authorities in Jerusalem had journeyed all the way up to Galilee on multiple occasions to check Jesus out. And many of them finally decided that they needed to get rid of him because he was seen as a threat. And so going into Jerusalem, like where the place of power was, this is where all those authorities were based out of, going into that city when knowing that they were out to get him and wanted to get rid of him would have been a very dangerous thing for Jesus to do. Jesus had a crowd, and he knew that everybody would be watching, and he's like, I'm going into Jerusalem, and I'm not just going to go in quietly. I'm going to go in with a bang, and I'm going to draw attention to what's happening here because he wanted to communicate a point. And so he orchestrated this like dramatic entry into the city, connected to all, he used all this imagery from these prophecies about the Messiah as he entered the city. Scholar Ched Myers describes his entry into Jerusalem as what he calls street theater. And street theater is really like symbolic action meant to catch the attention of the masses of the people. And so he rode, in, rode into Jerusalem on a colt, not a war horse. He had no weapons. He only had cloaks and branches that his followers had picked up along the way. Many Jews had hoped for a Messiah that would ride into Jerusalem with strength and power. And this Messiah they were longing for, they envisioned this Messiah coming into Jerusalem, entering into the temple, and kind of getting the temple back to its holy and former glory. And so they were longing for this day. And so when they saw Jesus coming in, many of them were excited. They knew about the prophecies. They're like, this might be the one. And so they shouted, Hosanna, save us. Likely giddy, I imagine, with excitement mixed with fear and trepidation. They watched Jesus come into the city. He went to the temple of all places. The most dangerous place he could show up to probably. He went to the temple complex and they probably wondered, what is this guy about to do? They're probably nervous. They're like, this is about to get real. And Mark tells us that he went into the temple courts and he just looked around at everything and then he left. Very anticlimactic, right? <laughs> but important. It appears that Jesus entered the temple to do some research, some kind of reconnaissance work. He was scoping out the scene because the next day on Monday, he was going to come back to the temple. And when he'd come back to the temple, he was about to do something that was going to be big. I'll show you a picture. Um, this is up on the hill. You can see kind of the darker gray color buildings in the on the hill, that is the town of Bethany in modern day, kind of um, that area over there. And, and it's kind of a suburb outside of Jerusalem. And you can see there's a wall that goes along there, and that's actually separating Israel from the West Bank. So I commented, when I preached on this passage, I often like to point out the fact that Jesus 
he had refuge. Bethany was a place of refuge for Jesus, actually, where he would go often um, to rest and find people. He knew people there. But now, if Jesus was in Jerusalem, it would be very hard for him to travel to Bethany, actually, because there's so much division and separation and oppression that's happening in that part of the world right now. And so that day, uh, the next day on Monday, Jesus was in Bethany, and he decided he wanted to go back into Jerusalem. He had plans of what he was going to do in the temple. Mark doesn't tell us how the disciples were feeling at this moment, but you've got to imagine the disciples were extremely nervous. I mean, they knew that things were getting tense. They knew that the authorities were after them. They were probably being pursued. There were probably informants and different folks who were trying to get close to Jesus and figure out where they're staying so that they could arrest them. Jesus was a marked man at this point. And they also knew that Jesus probably told them what was up. We're going back to the temple. And they're probably thinking, we're going back to the temple? Like, really? Like, these people want to kill us. Like, why would we go to the temple? And so... They were probably very nervous. I remember a few years ago, I, did a, I went to Frankfurt and participated in this direct action at the U.S. Capitol with this group called the Poor People's Campaign. And I remember being so nervous. Like, there was not really any fear of much kind of altercation. But I remember even just then walking up to the Capitol building, wondering how the, guard, the officers there would respond to us. I was so nervous, and like, but I was, I was grateful to be there. And, and I imagine that these folks were very nervous as they entered into Jerusalem. And so they went to the temple courts, and Jesus began to engage in some very disruptive behavior. His action that he did at the temple contained four parts, all right? So let's break this down. First, when Jesus entered into the temple, he drove out those who were buying and selling. Second, he overturned the tables of the money changers and those who were selling doves in the temple. And third, he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise back and forth through the temple courts. And the fourth thing Jesus did was he taught them. Now, keep in mind that the temple is like the center of like, it's the center of power and everything in Jerusalem. At that time, it was where the Jewish Sanhedrin met. It was where the high priest would work. There would be guards and officials and powerful people there. And so Jesus entered into their territory And for some period of time, he caused a major disruption to the economic activities that were happening in the temple every single day. And he went in and he's like, I'm causing disruption. I'm messing things up for the day. You know, for most of my life, I understood this passage kind of like this. I I thought of Jesus kind of entering the temple and he's shocked to see people are engaging in commerce and selling stuff. and, And because like maybe changing money and, and selling things is not really holy and appropriate for a church setting, you know, or a worship space. And so in my mind, well, Jesus cleared it out because he wanted to make it sacred and holy again. And I thought, you know, and then I was like, well, those mega churches that got coffee shops and gift stores and stuff, Jesus would go in and turn everything over because he's like, we don't sell things in church, right? That's against the rules. And that's kind of how I thought about it. But here's the thing. If you, when you study this, like, Jesus would not have been surprised or shocked to see buying and selling happening in the temple. I mean, this was the center not just for religious activity, but economic activity, political activity. It was the center of religious life in Jerusalem. And and people's lives were dependent upon the things that they sold there. I mean, they would go there to make a living, right? And then people would come from all over the surrounding area 
to go and make sacrifices at the temple, to try to connect with God on a deeper way. And so selling doves and things like that was necessary to kind of uphold the system that they had there. And Jesus did not come in, I don't believe, like saying all that is wrong, but Jesus clearly saw something there that, that upset him. We can't, we can't think of the temple like a, a modern-day church. All right, The temple was more like the Vatican maybe in Rome. It's like a center of uh, a lot of political and religious and economic power. So if Jesus went into the temple and he wasn't shocked to see all the commerce that was happening, what was it that made him so upset? Because Jesus is clearly angry. I didn't read the text for you, but you can look at it in Mark. Jesus... I described how it all laid out, but Jesus was really upset. I mean, he went in and was turning over tables and disrupting everything that was happening in the temple that day. So what was going on there? Well, I see two options for what made Jesus so angry. Well, let's talk about the first option. It could be that the economic activity that was happening in the temple was not just, it wasn't above board, and perhaps people were being taken advantage of by the way the economic activity was happening in the temple. It could be that the temple and the way things had gotten there, that the people selling and changing money were taking advantage of the poor, marginalized kind of Jews who were coming there to try to do business in the temple. Pilgrims would be required, right, to come and exchange their foreign currency uh, to, to make sacrifices and to buy the doves and everything. So the money changers had an opportunity there. They, they needed to change their money, but they could have used that opportunity as a way to take advantage of the people who were coming in. Money changers could have potentially been making large profits off of their business, which would have mainly been on the backs of the poor and those who were just trying to do their religious duty. Our world, the world back then, the vast majority, well over 90% of the people were living in poverty. And so most of the people who were coming didn't have a lot of extra money. And so for them coming in, if someone's taking advantage of them in the temple, that would rightfully make Jesus angry. You had dove sellers in the temple as well. And the doves, you know, when you would come to the temple, often animals that were required for sacrifice, and doves were kind of the cheapest option. And they were purchased by the poor to make their required sacrifices. And so it's interesting, doves are the ones that are mentioned in this passage. If you remember Jesus and his family, when he was a baby, they took him to the temple for his purification rites. And if you remember, Mary had to, and Joseph had to buy doves, which shows us that Jesus' family did not have much money. They were a poor family, and they were having to buy kind of the cheapest option for them to make those sacrifices. Women were required to sacrifice doves to purify themselves. The sick and other people um, who were already often outcasted in society had been, would be required to purchase doves, often to atone for ailments. And so, Ched Myers, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, argues that, that this is the problem here. That people were not just doing good business for the pilgrims, but they were taking advantage of these folks. And he says that the money changers and the dove sellers represented the concrete mechanisms of oppression, so the ways that people were being oppressed within a political economy that doubly exploited, so two times over exploited the poor and the unclean. Not only were they considered second-class citizens, but the cult obligated them to make reparation through sacrifices for their inferior status, from which the marketers profited. So then uh, Jesus he, he, he flipped over the tables. He disrupted the activities. He somehow was able to block the flow of people carrying merchandise in and out of the temple. 
Now, of course, he didn't permanently block their economic activities. It's not like he's trying to, like, completely stop what's happening because that would, that would be very hard to do. But for a period of time, he put pressure on them and he publicly exposed some kind of corruption and oppression through this symbolic action. It reminds me of times when we've seen a lot of protests, particularly in recent history in our country and across the world. And it reminds me of times that protesters has gone out and even stood across interstate traffic and stopped the flow of traffic. Um, they're not going to stop forever the flow of traffic on that interstate. But for that moment, they put their bodies on the line to try to raise awareness and disrupt what was going on. When often protests happen downtowns in the center of kind of economic power, often they happen there to disrupt the economic activity so people will start to perk up and pay attention to what is happening. And so this makes me think of these kinds of moments. It makes me think of folks who have put their bodies in front of buses that are uh, deporting their friends and their families. These actions are meant to be symbolic, right? Putting pressure on people. And so Jesus' actions in the temple that day were pretty extreme. And they caused a lot of disruption and conflict. And some of the religious authorities were clearly angry about what was going on. And they began to look for a way to kill him. And so I said last week when Jesus rode in on that donkey and kind of did this counter entry to Jerusalem than what Pilate would have done, that also upset the authorities. This would have been kind of the nail in the coffin. Like, this is a big deal. Like, he goes into the temple and he's disrupting everything that is going on. It makes sense that Jesus' life became more and more in danger as time moved on throughout the week. And so Jesus then, after he was done, he, he gave some explanation because he had just done something pretty radical and out there. And he needed to teach them and tell them why he was doing what he was doing. And so he taught them. And one of the things he said was this. It is, not, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Now, Jesus references here a house of prayer for all nations. He's citing a section of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 56. And you should go and read it. Um, it's, a, it's a very powerful portion of Scripture. In these verses in Isaiah chapter 56, the prophet articulates a vision as the temple being a place of refuge and welcome for all the foreigners and the socially outcast and those people who may have not been welcome in that particular place. It looks towards a day when all will be welcomed into God's house. And perhaps Jesus is using the scripture here to articulate his belief about what the temple ought to be. A place of inclusion and life and welcome and love of all. However, in some respects, we could argue that the temple had become a place of exclusion, even a place of injustice and oppression. One thing that had happened the religious leaders kind of were, were there like in collusion with the Roman government and empire, and there was a lot of shady and, and inappropriate and unjust things that were happening. And so instead of it being an inclusive house of prayer for all nations, it had been made into a den of robbers. Now I want to talk about that phrase, den of robbers, just for a moment. It seems clear that Jesus was saying some people in the temple that day were, were robbers. Uh, he was calling them robbers, people who were stealing and taking things from others that didn't belong to them. Now, according to Chad Myers, like I said, he would argue that the people in the temple doing the business were the actual ones robbing people by their unfair practices and making too much money off of the backs of the poor. 
However, another way to look at this is like this, that maybe the exchanging of money and selling of doves in the temple was not the issue, that that was above board and just fine. But maybe the problem was that many of these people were oppressing the poor outside the temple in their day-to-day lives and their daily practices. When you think about the term den of robbers, a den of robbers, in my mind, is not necessarily the place where they're doing all the robbing, but a den is where they go for hideout and for refuge and for safety after they've been doing the robbing during the daytime, right? And so they, the den is kind of their spot to hide out and be safe and be welcomed. So I wonder, had the temple become a place that had legitimized bad behavior? Had the temple become a place where those who hurt others would be welcomed with open arms and not challenged at all for their bad behavior? Had the religious system become so intertwined with the political power that they legitimized the harmful practices of the empire? A den of robbers. It makes me think of churches in America back when slavery uh, was legal all across the South. When white people went to church, they were often kind to each other, worshipped God, smiled, they gave their tithes. It was all fine and dandy. But many of those same people owned slaves and caused great harm to others. And when they went to church, often received no challenge and were accepted with open arms. Church had become really a den of robbers. The prophetic witness in Scripture, which I'm particularly drawn to these days, contains a strong critique of worshiping communities that worship God with their lips but fail to work for justice. Perhaps this is what made Jesus so angry. That Jesus cared deeply for all people and wanted everyone to have access to the things that lead to flourishing in life. And He intentionally reached out to those people who were denied access. Left out, excluded, mistreated. Jesus knew the Father's heart and He knew that God cared for everyone. And He particularly has a heart for those who suffer. And so maybe Jesus made a bold move here. He staged a dramatic public action to draw attention to how far the powerful had strayed, to draw attention to the way the religious community had lost sight of God's heart of justice for all people. You know, one part of the story that often gets overlooked is what Jesus did when He first entered the temple on Sunday. We're talking about Monday when He did the big, bold, direct action. But what about Sunday? The day before his action, he went into the temple and he just looked around at everything, it said. And I wonder, what did Jesus see when he walked in and looked around? Well, if we take into account what Jesus did the day after on Monday, driving people out, turning over tables, getting in people's way, we assume he saw things that he was not happy with, things that made him upset. Ray Steadman, a a guy, preacher back in the 70s, I I found this that he said about this particular story, and I think some of what he says is pretty profound. But he says, this was an official visit of the king of Israel, an inspection tour at the heart of the nation. He went into the temple where the very heartbeat of the nation was throbbing, represented in the worship that was lifted up to God. And he looked at everything, and we know what he saw, commercialism, money changers, exploitation, corruption, injustice, but he did not say a word. He just looked around at everything. Nobody noticed him because he had been there many times before. But they did not know this was an official tour of inspection by the king. And it makes me wonder today, what would Jesus see if he entered into our churches today? If he looked around at everything and saw the great things, the good things, 
uh, but also the bad things and maybe even the really ugly things. I know this has been on many of your, your all's hearts this past week, but I wonder what Jesus would see if he entered the Kentucky legislature and looked around at the vast majority of professing Christians and the decisions they make and how they impact struggling folks that Jesus loves so much. What would he feel if he looked at the policies, listened to the closed-door conversations, and peered into the hearts of the leaders who claim to love Jesus? I wonder what Jesus would see if he took a tour of our homes and looked at everything. If he saw the way we treated one another, the way we treated our kids and our spouses, if he saw our bank accounts and the way we spend our money. I wonder what Jesus would see if he entered our workplaces and looked at everything. What would he see in the way the employees are treated? And the way clients and customers are treated, the way we use our authority and our jobs. I wonder what Jesus would see if he entered our hearts and minds and he looked at everything. The religious authorities, clearly some of them did not want Jesus entering their territory, questioning their practices and their motives. No one really likes when people do that. They didn't like when Jesus asked those hard questions instead of receiving the truth that Jesus was offering them. Many of them chose to harden their hearts and even more so turn away from the truth. And they ended up, a good portion, colluding with the empire to have Jesus killed. But here's the good news. Jesus offers redemption and forgiveness and restoration. But I think we need to be willing to invite Jesus in to do that reconnaissance work, to look at everything and lead us down paths of change. Right now and really over the past many few years with the pandemic and then the, all the racial injustice and all the things that we're seeing has, has really uh, brought up a lot of ugliness and brokenness and, and I would say downright evil um, that has been exposed and brought to light. And it's been very painful, but I think it's been very necessary. If you want healing, sometimes you've got to clean out the wound first, and that can be a very painful process, right? And I think the church... We have an opportunity to actually lean into all this and to be, a, we have the idea of confession and repentance as part of our faith, right? We should be okay with hearing the hard things and being willing to open up and, and say, what are the good parts and the bad parts? Because we know that God loves us through it all anyway, and so we shouldn't have any fear about walking down those hard paths. But often our temptation is to close up and put up our defenses and say, I'm not going down that path. I don't want anybody exposing things that I've done wrong or our church has done wrong or what our community and our nation have done. But I think the church has an opportunity to truly listen to the prophets, the prophets of old and the prophets of today, to pay attention um, to that, to practice radical humility, and really allow Jesus to come in and turn the tables over of oppression and injustice and cowardness and greed. If you're willing to be humble, if we're willing to admit our wrongs, if, if we're willing to do that, then we can commit then to walking that road of change. And I believe the What's on the other side of that is beautiful, actually. And that's life, and that's goodness, and that's joy. And so um, I just, we're already on that journey together. Um, but my hope is we can continue to listen and dig deep and through this season of Lent, do that work of true confession and repentance and, and, and ask ourselves, where are we on the right path, but how have we strayed? Not just as individuals, but collectively as a community, um, as a city, as a nation, and, and how can we do better? Um, and if we do that, I believe that transformation can happen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to share communion this morning like we do each week. We still share communion by using the, these uh, cups here. And so if you did not get one on the way in, um, there are some 
at the entrance back that way. You can go back. Feel free to just get up and go get one. It's no problem at all. As people are making their way back, I'm just going to say a prayer before we share communion together. God, thank you so much for being with us here in this moment. I thank you, God, that you are um, just breathing life into us each and every moment of the day. And I thank you, God, for the grace that you offer us. And, and we, we testified to that grace today. Ellie testified to that grace today when she was baptized and made that declaration that she believes in you and trusting in your forgiveness and your willingness and desire and power to walk with her in her life to see her become more and more um, a person who loves you and loves others. And God, I pray that we would trust in that grace today and we would trust that we are your children and that you're on our team and you want the best for us and that we would be willing to open ourselves up to you more this morning. To come into our lives and look around and, and help us to see the things that are, that are good, that we could receive that affirmation from you on the ways that we are pursuing the right stuff, but also, Lord, that we could also hear that, that challenge from you to move in a different direction. I pray we would hear that today, that we could have courage to truly confess and to open up as we talked about on Ash Wednesday. And we could see that on the other side of that is something beautiful and something good. Lord, we love you so much. We're so grateful that you are here with us today in this room. And we're so grateful for your love and grace that you pour out on us each and every moment of the day. Lord, I pray this morning that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon this bread and juice and, and whatever, whatever food and drink people have at home that they've set aside for this purpose this morning. We pray, pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these common things and that you would move in and through them to do something extraordinary in our lives this morning. That we could feel your presence moving within us as we eat and drink together this morning. That we would feel the love from you and also the love from one another that you would unite us around a common purpose to spread light and love in this world. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to better show one another grace and love, that we could be safe people so that others could share and open up and confess and share the hard things with us. Help us to support one another, Lord. And I pray that communion could be just a nourishing thing for us today to help us to have and that, that courage and that gift of your love this morning to know, Lord, that we can enter the future unafraid because we have you with us. Lord, we need you so much. Humble us this morning. Help us to find our place in your story and also to see what you're inviting us to do with you, to see this world redeemed and transformed. Lord, thank you so much. We love you so much. And, and all God's people said, amen. So we're going to share communion, and, and you know, like we talked about Monday this week, and we'll eventually get to Thursday, um, and we're going to talk a good bit about that particular day, but that was the day that Jesus shared the meal with his disciples that the scriptures refer to as the Last Supper, and um, it was just a beautiful time they shared together where Jesus taught them, and he probably shared some laughter, a lot of some tears, I would imagine, as well, because I'm sure they all sensed something was going on, and he talked a lot about how he was going to be leaving them, and and that, you know, he's not going to leave them alone, and he promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's such a, a beautiful moment they shared together. And at one point in that meal, um, they, 
they got to a point, they, they might have been sharing a Passover meal even in that moment, and, which would have been very normal, you know, to eat bread and to, to drink wine at that meal. But at one point in the meal, Jesus kind of took a turn and he started talking about himself. And Passover for the, for the Israelites and for the Jews was really all about like freedom. It was about being set free from slavery back in Egypt, but also really about being set free from the things that keep us down today. And Jesus in many ways, was reinterpreting himself into the story and saying that he is here to offer an even greater freedom, a freedom where we can be set free from anything and we can walk with our heads held high through all the ups and downs of life because we know that God's Spirit is with us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in this meal, we can remember that freedom that God gives us, that freedom to walk into the future unafraid, that freedom to accept challenge and critique from others, that freedom to dig deep into our hearts and look at the things that are good, bad, and ugly, knowing that we are loved by God. And the Spirit is always telling us that we are beloved, that we are children of God. That's part of what the Spirit does, is remind us that we are God's children. So this morning, trust in that and know that you can have the courage to enter all sorts of unknown things the Spirit's going to be with you through it all. So if y'all want to go ahead and get out. Cracker or whatever y'all have at home online. And I encourage you to take and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. You can take and drink. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We're just going to spend a little bit of time worshiping before we dismiss for the day. If you would like prayer, then I'll be up here in the front, and I would love to pray with you at the altar or just talk with you if you need anything. And we should have somebody from the prayer team. John and and Rachel are both in the back, and they'll be happy to lift you up in prayer if you prefer to go back that way. Um, But let's just spend a little bit of time connecting with God before we leave.
Amen. Well, if y'all want to stand as you're able for the benediction. Thank you all for being here today. I pray you would, uh, we would all leave here with something that God has said to us or spoken to us or something we felt in our hearts today and that we would hold on to that um, as we go throughout our weeks. And so if y'all prepare your hearts to receive the benediction, may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.